so uh, one of the one of the one of the great joys that I have is getting to um, raise up other leaders. It's something that God is continuing to put on my heart. Um, so having other people come and and preach and teach and getting to meet with Jason, you know, through the week and, and look at what he was discussing, praying with him, uh, it's a joy for me. And I just would encourage you guys. Uh, we identify here one of our core values, right, as 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 uh, community, that we are a family uh, in Christ, right? And therefore, uh, one of the extensions of that is allowing, creating in this in this uh, church a context for. People to come in, use their gifts, grow in their gifts, whether that's, you know, trying to teach something at children's ministry or trying to lead us in music or uh, preaching um, on a Sunday morning. So Jason Belk has been uh, attending. He's actually got his official shirt here. Uh, <laughs> his Southeastern uh, Seminary. And one of the things that they wanted him to do in a preaching course was, hey, see if you can uh, get a few opportunities to preach. And so I, I thought, man, this would be great. I, if you know Jason at all, you know that he's about 10 times smarter than me on every single subject, including the Bible. So uh, this is a perfect uh, platform for him. So let me pray for uh, Jason and we'll, we'll get in. God, thank you for uh, Jason Belk. Thank you for um, the ways that you have used this brother so profoundly in this church and in my life and the lives of so many. God, thank you for the ways that you um, have gifted him. And Lord, we, we um, are excited to be the recipients of, of, of your spirit moving through him. And Jesus, we, we know, I mean, it's made very plain that we're just earthen vessels that we carry about the, the treasure of your gospel, your spirit, in jars of clay. And so today we, we pray that that earthen vessel would, would spill over. We pray, God, that Jason Belk would just be an instrument in your hands, that you would speak through him to us, to your glory, and uh, for our good. In Jesus' name. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> okay, I'm going to start today by reading Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 11, and then verses 14 through 19. If anybody needs a Bible, we have these two gentlemen who will either throw it to you or hand it to you. Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descendant Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas of mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, 
who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice, and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. Verse 14. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he does, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all those who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations, and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. I'm going to open us in prayer now. Heavenly Father, you're good. You've given us all things. Uh, we confess that our motives are often impure. We pray that you purify them and show us your Son. I thank you that you've given us your Son, given us all things in him. We pray for your Spirit to be at work in me, in this message, and throughout the rest of this week. In Jesus' name, amen. So most Christians are aware of the Old Testament prophet Daniel. The name of Daniel should bring to mind a lot of vivid and exciting stories of a man who was faithful to God amidst a pagan empire. And who can forget in Daniel chapter 1 that he basically invented the paleo-vegan diet. <laughs> and, and there are Christians today who even do the Daniel fast or a Daniel diet. But I don't think they're worried about bacon cheeseburgers being kosher. And who, who can forget Daniel's interpretations of all the different dreams in Daniel? For me, I find it so encouraging that the, these prophecies that were in these dreams, they have the interpretation alongside them in the text. And we see hundreds of years ahead of time that Daniel prophesied and, and saw about Alexander the Great's empire 
being formed and being split up, and there's so much to study there and be encouraged that God knows the end from the beginning. And who, who can also forget a Sunday school favorite, Daniel in the lion's den. In Daniel 6, we see that there's Daniel trying to get be, be getting rid of through a bizarre execution technique. It kind of reminds me of a James Bond movie where they have indirect and, and gruesome means to get rid of the hero. But God, God takes care of him. And Daniel, we see someone who, decade after decade, follows the Lord and is in a position of power in a context hostile to God. The government took away his religious freedom often and punished him for public expressions of faith. He was very effective at his job. In both the Babylonian and the Persian empires, he grew to very high positions of power and effectiveness. And just like him, we can see in our lives that he was a godly man in a strange land, and we too, as Paul talks about in Philippians 3.20, are citizens in a strange land, and we're citizens of the kingdom of God. And Daniel, we see an example of someone who had no lapse of faith that we can see in the scriptures. We know he was sinful like us, but unlike Moses, who got angry and did not make into the promised land, or David, who committed adultery and murder and, and suffered the consequences of that, or, or, or even Abraham, who was lost his patience and, and ended up with Ishmael. We see, we see in Daniel someone who was faithful decade after decade, praying and, and serving God. So we look at verse 1. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descendant of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So we see today that Daniel was at the end of his life. He'd been honoring God in his public and his private life for decades. He's almost 80 years old at this point. He's experiencing a major political upheaval. He had been taken from the promised land in Jerusalem and taken all the way to Babylon. And now in Babylon, the Persians are taking over. And this is very unexpected, and it's a historic event that we can look to in history. And this is equivalent today, as if Russia had come over and taken over the U.S., and now they're the world, world superpower. So this is totally unsettling. And how does he respond? He responds to God's word and prayer. He looks into God's word, and, and he prays. So my main point today is that Christians should pray through God's promises, with the confidence and expectation that God will act. And God acted in his time, and he'll act in our time as well. And we have Jesus in the new covenant with even more confidence that he will act. So let's see how Daniel started his time with the Lord in Daniel chapter 9. I'm going to reread verses 1 through 3. On the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descendant of Mede, who was made king of the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas, pleas for mercy with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So Daniel responded to the political instability and uncertainty of his situation by turning to the Lord in prayer and fasting. I find this also fascinating that he was looking at the prophet Jeremiah where their lives actually overlapped. They're contemporaries of each other. And so that must have been pretty weird that he was reading scripture that was just hot off the press. And so now looking at verse 2, um, we see that he perceived in the books the number of years 
that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So what Daniel is looking at here is Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 12, and Jeremiah 29, 10, which was written about almost 70 years earlier, saying that the exile would last for 70 years. And now it's 539 BC, almost 70 years later. And Daniel is perceiving that God promised that the exile would be 70 years. So we have here a golden example of trusting and observing God's promises in light of your current situation. So let's look again at verse 3. He says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So he not only prayed, he fasted, and he gave his full attention to the Lord. And sometimes we need to set aside everything and earnestly seek God. How often do you earnestly pray for something? Is it always for yourself? Daniel here is at the end of his life, and he wants to see the restoration of God's kingdom and his people for future generations. And he's probably not even going to live to see it. That's, that's something to think about as well. For me, I know this is something I need to grow in. Uh, the best example I have of this type of prayer is when I was pursuing Aaron to, to be my girlfriend. We, for those of us who do not know us well, we've been married for three years. We were friends for a year in college at Santa Clara University. We dated for a year at Santa Clara, and then we did long distance for three and a half years before we got engaged. And so for us, the, the pivotal point in our relationship was, was that transition for me from being her friend to being her boyfriend. Getting out of the friend zone, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for me, I, I, I've been praying for months leading up to it. And, and, and my prayer had been that we'd be more effective together as a couple than apart for God's kingdom. And some advice that had been given to me from a mentor is, is that God cares more about who you're going to marry than you do. Because it's for his kingdom that you're getting married. And he cares more about his kingdom than you do, and, and so he, he has your best interests in mind. Anyway, coming back to the prayer story, we were on a road trip coming up from Southern California, back to the Bay Area. And I, I'd been praying and fasting for about 36 hours. And, and during that time, I, I had a special sweetness with the Lord. And I had set aside everything to seek him on this. So I wanted to see that if it was his will. And at the end of that time, in my weakness, I had the confidence knowing that this is what God wanted. And it's not just about me building my own confidence, but knowing what, what God wanted through that. And, and after asking her out, she actually said no. Uh, <laughs> and to wait another six months before Aaron, Aaron's heart changed on that. And now I can't really get rid of her. She is always around. <laughs> um, so I, in that case, I set aside everything and sought the Lord, and he met me. Um, and I confess I did not do that type of prayer as often as I need to, and I often trust in my own strength. So Mercy Hill Church, I want to encourage you to take the time to have focused prayer for specific things and set aside everything. Whether that is for seeking the Lord for his will in your life, your family, or fighting some sin that has been plaguing you for quite some time. Or even praying for this church to grow and make more new, new disciples. 
Seek the Lord earnestly, and he will meet you in, his prayer, in your prayers. So now looking back at verse 4, he says, I pray to the Lord my God and make confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So Daniel begins his prayer with adoration. He begins his prayer with God. He loves who God is, what he has done, and how he treats his people. He's the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. And our prayers as well should start with a, with a heart of adoration. And starting with adoration helps put our prayers in that proper perspective of who God is and who we are and how great he is. And our prayer should seek to glorify God in that. And I know some prayer, sometimes our prayers are quick, and there are certain situations where that's not always the case, but our hearts should still have that reverent undertone of adoration. Just like Jeremiah, who started with, just like Daniel, who started with Jeremiah and jumped into prayer, Christians should have, should pray through God's promises with the confidence and expectation that God will act. So now moving on to the next section, verses 5 through 14, I think you guys might notice if you have the outline, you'll see that my sermon outline is an acronym. A-C-T-S. Acts, just like the New Testament book. And that's not really original to me, but it, and I don't remember exactly where I learned it, but I found it helpful in structuring this passage. And it's really the core components. It's not prescriptive, but I find it helpful in a balanced time of prayer. And not just the components, but also the ordering. And seeing that our adoration of God can lead into confessing our sins, can lead into thankfulness for what he has done for us, and lead into supplication, asking him for things. And I know my own selfish tendency is to start with my own needs first, without first exalting God for who he is and what he has done for us, and putting myself in my proper place before him. So this next big portion, verses 5 through 14, is, is a corporate intercession of confession. And intercession is basically just a fancy word for to plead, petition, or act on behalf of somebody else. He's confessing the sins of the people. He's interceding on their behalf. Some other New Testament examples of intercession, one would be Romans 8, 26, chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Where Paul says, talking about the Holy Spirit, saying, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so we can have the confidence that as we pray, that Spirit is interceding for us, and we don't have to worry about getting all of our phrasing right and whether we have everything in the right order, that Spirit is interceding for us on our behalf. And also the Son. Seen Hebrews chapter four verses fourteen through sixteen also intercedes for us as our great high priest. Since then, saying in Hebrews, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in every time of need. So Jesus, as our high priest, intercedes on our behalf. And he's 100% God, and so he can relate to God perfectly in that. And he's also 100% man, and so he knows exactly what we're going through. So now looking back at Daniel chapter 9, 
verse 5, he says, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. So contrast that in verse 5 to verse 4, where he says, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So you can contrast those two, and you see that God is faithful, and, and Daniel's confessing that we are unfaithful. And so you can see the parallels between those, those two sets of confessions and, and who God is. And also I believe Daniel here is referencing 1 Kings 8.47, where at the dedication of Solomon's temple, it says, Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive, which he's talking about Babylon, where Daniel is right now, and repeat and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned and acted perversely and wickedly, which is very similar to what Daniel was confessing here. So I, I believe the confession here is linking back to Solomon's dedication prayer. We're saying once they're getting carried away, this is the confession. They should pray to, to reconnect with God. And we can see that Daniel did not hold back any punches. He did not sugarcoat his sin. And I think our prayers, too, need to be sure to not pretend that sin is not that bad and gloss over ways that we dishonor the Lord. And we have more written scripture and we're under the new, new covenant, so we have God's Spirit within us, revealing sin and giving us the power and ability to confess it. I find a helpful promise on this is 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, where he says, if we, ha- if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I find the pairing and confession of that passage just so beautiful and, and really something that we can, we can take to the bank. And on, on this side of heaven, we'll be forever pursuing holiness, but yet never really attaining perfection. But God promises every time we confess, he'll forgive us and cleanse us from that unrighteousness. So I, I find people often fall into one of two camps, that they either struggle with the truth that God forgives any sin and is eager to restore the relationship, or they struggle with seeing the severity of their sin and the urgency to repent of it. And I find both of these areas are are prideful. Not accepting God's promise to forgive confessed sin is effectively saying that you know better than God what he is willing to forgive. By not acknowledging existing sin, you're saying to God, you know what right, what is right and wrong better than he does. And that the sin is not really that bad. I know I tend to fall in that second camp. I often struggle with confession before the Lord and, and also other people. For me, it's not really natural to, uh, to confess my sins. And for me, something that's been helping me recently is to pray through uh, the Valley of Vision, which I have here as a visual aid. And so... <laughs> Um, where, where, where it's a, a bunch of prayers that are written out from the Puritans who are uh, British Christians in the 1600s who have, have just these prayers saturated in biblical language um, and, and they have confessions in there as well as other types of prayer and that, that helps kind of get, get my, my gears rolling in, in, into the right mindset to have some structure to it. I think the reason I do not confess my sin more to others is because I have a prayerlessness and that I don't confess to God as often as I need to. So now coming back to Daniel 9, uh, here's a few more highlights of Daniel's confession. 
So we can see in verse 11, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. So what he's describing there is the law of Moses, and that has been broken, and the curse is now upon them. And what he's referencing there is Leviticus 25, where in that passage, I'll, I'll just read it for you, where it talks about saying, when, when you come into the land that I give you, talking about the promised land, the land, that land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. And we know Nick talked about this last week. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. So he, God is commanding his people to let the land rest that seventh year for an entire year. And he also associates a curse if they do not follow that command. In the next chapter in Leviticus 26, verses 33 through 43. And this is all connecting back to Daniel 9, talking about the law of Moses and the curse. And I will scatter Leviticus 26, verses 33 through 43. And I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheath the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths, as long as it lies desolate. While you are in your enemy's land, Babylon, then the land shall rest, and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest. The rest it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. In verse 39, and those of you who are left shall rot away in your enemies' lands because of their iniquity. And also because of the iniquities of their fathers, they shall rot away like them. Verse 40. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery they, that they committed against me and also walking contrary to me, verse 42, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. But the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbath while, while it lies desolate without them. Because they have spurned my rules and their soul has abhorred my statutes. So we know that's the curse. We know that's the law that he's talking about. And we know that curse was applied because in Second Chronicles chapter 36, verses 20 and 21, it says, And he took into exile in Babylon those who escaped from the sword, those who didn't die. And they, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia, which is what we're seeing here in chapter 9, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. And so we know that that 70 years is to fulfill the number of years that they did not let it rest during the kings of Israel. So God's letting it rest now, that they're taken out of the land and they're not working their production on it. And so Daniel earnestly prayed and confessed his sins and his people's sins. For us, I want, I want us to have the same heart as well who, that meditates on the richness of God's word and confesses our sins. We see in James chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, he says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently in the in, at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, 
and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So for that, when we look into the law of liberty, we have the Spirit convict us of our sin, and we confess, and we obey in faith. That, 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 that's what I'm talking about, looking at the richness of God's word. And so our disobedience should inspire confession, like it did for Daniel. And I'll say it again, Christians should pray through God's promises with the confidence and expectation that God will act. Now moving on to Thanksgiving in verse 15. So in the Thanksgiving part in this chap- chapter is not nearly as big as the confession or the other parts, but it should not be overlooked. We have two very rich examples of prayers of Thanksgiving from Paul in Colossians 1 and Philippians 1. I'm going to start with sharing with you Colossians 1, 12 through 14. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we can see Thanksgiving is different than the, that first step of adoration because in Thanksgiving we're thanking God for what he has already, what, what he, he has done for us. He has redeemed us. He has given us the forgiveness of sin. He has transferred us into the kingdom of light. In adoration, we're thanking God for who he is. He is good. He is great. He is beautiful in majesty. And now looking at Philippians 1, verses 3 through 5, he says, Paul saying, I thank my God in all my rooms of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayers joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so part of our thankfulness is not just what God has done for us, but what he's doing in other people. He's thanking God for what he's able to have this partnership in the gospel with this church. Even though that these people are doing, God's providing the motivations, he's providing the opportunities, he's providing everything. So he's thanking God for all of that. I also want to encourage you that, that thankfulness will fight against pride. And a really convicting text for me on this is 1 Corinthians 4, 7, chapter 4, verse 7, where Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So Paul is telling them to take no pride in the things that God has given them. So everything I have, my skills, my opportunities, and even my failures are all gifts from God. And we should be thankful, not prideful based on that. Now coming back to Daniel chapter 9, verse 15, he says, And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself, as at this day. We have sinned, and we have done wickedly. So Daniel here in verse 15 is calling to mind the major act of salvation in the Old Testament, the Exodus. This is where God took the people out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the Promised Land. So this is really a transition point in his prayer between his confession and his upcoming supplication asking for things. And Christians today can call to mind and be thankful for, for what God has done for us in our great act of salvation, in the cross of Christ. We have the greatest news in the world. We have a hope and inheritance that the world cannot take away. 
And so our prayers should be filled with thanksgiving because Jesus became a man and lived the perfect life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. Being risen on the third day to become our first fruits of a new humanity so that way we can have hope in him and the new resurrection of the dead. So our prayers should be filled with thanksgiving. Now moving on to supplication, verses 16 through 19. In light of God's character and actions, uh, Daniel appeals to God's mercy to fulfill his promises to restore his people to their land. Now supplication is just a big fancy word for earnestly or humbly asking for something. I think I have that definition on your handout too. Start looking at verse 16. He's, he's earnestly and humbly asking for something. He's saying, Oh Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Verse 18. For we do not present our pleas because, excuse me, before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. So we see in verse 18 and 19 that he's calling on God to fulfill his promises, not because of any merit or work that they had done, but because of God's righteous character, that he's going to keep his promises and keep his word. And Daniel waited until the very end to ask God for anything. And after many verses of confession. And we can do well to learn from that. I know my own heart is, is to f- first ask God for the things I want rather than having a, a prayer that's centered on God and who he is and what he has done. So think back about how Jesus taught the disciples to pray in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. And it was incredibly God-centered as well, starting with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so he starts with adoration of our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he includes confession of forgive us our debts. And then he has his supplication asking God, give us this day our daily bread. And he's also praying that it would be in line with God's will and God's kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And we also know, we can see, we can learn from Daniel that the things he asked for were in line with God's will and God's word as well. And he he loved God's promises, and and he was basing his his prayer off that. So I know for us, praying for back pain or lost dogs is totally fine, and God loves to hear from us because he's our loving father. But when we pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done, we can be absolutely sure that our prayer is in line with what God wants. So we should study the promises of God and see the things that God wants and the type of heart that he, he wants his people to have. An example of this would be 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So I think of those who are in our church who are going door-to-door in our neighborhood and seeking to connect with those who are sharing Jesus. And this could be a prayer for them. This could be a prayer for all of us. And we know that God's going to answer that, even though we might not know exactly what it looks like and and when it's going to be answered. It's in God's will. He says he desires all people to be saved. 
Now, now coming back to the end of chapter 9, um, I hate to leave you all with a cliffhanger ending because he, he has a super long prayer. And God actually answers it, if we see in the last half of chapter 9, which I'm not going to go into in detail. But we can see in verse 23 um, that God responds. And, and he responds immediately at the beginning of his prayer. It says, and at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. So back in verse 3, that's when the word went out. And I have come to tell it to you for you are greatly loved. And God shares this awesome revelation with him. And we can see from that, that's, that's basically God's big rubber stamp of approval, saying this is a good prayer. Um, and God and Daniel prayed for God to act, and act he did. And and, and so that we should find encouragement in that. And, and also, I, I want to encourage you to try to study, study those 70 weeks there. I know it's difficult and it can be confusing, but God provided this to Daniel as a gift for his prayer, and it's something we can learn from as well. I also want to encourage you all to check out the bi-weekly prayer meeting. I know when I've had the chance to go, I've been greatly blessed. And our, our church meets to pray, and we have seasoned saints who have been praying on their own for decades, just like Daniel was, praying faithfully for God's will to be done. So please join. It's, it's well worth your time. And not only will you be ministered to, but I find it helpful to, see, to hear the unified yet diverse voices of our body cry out to God in prayer. You'll hear prayers of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So after hearing this message, my hope is that you'll pray through God's promises with confidence and expectation that God will act, that you'll turn to him, you'll trust in his promises, and you'll see him act. So may we all, by the grace of God, be faithful like Daniel was and see our mighty God act in our church, in our generation. I'll close in prayer. God, you are good. Uh, you have given us all things. Um, you um, are beautiful. And we pray for this time of worship that uh, you would work in our hearts. And we just thank you for all you've done for us in, in Christ. And we pray this message would um, just work its way out in our hearts as we pray to you. In Jesus' name, amen.